Over the past few weeks, we have been talking about the relationship between God and humanity and how we have kind of messed that up, uh, fractured the relationship, and, and how, uh, how we have tried to restore it through our own efforts and how we have tried to restore it in different ways. And so um, we want to continue along that, and we, f- we have found out over the weeks that we can't do that by ourselves. But indeed, we need God to act on our behalf. We're going to be in 2 Kings 22 today. Um, If you have your Bible there, go ahead and open it up as we are talking. But you might have thought along the way as we've talked about restoring the relationship between God and and us, that you might have thought along the way, you know what, it's not that simple. You know, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm thinking. You don't know just kind of the, the, the things that I harbor in my heart. If you really knew, you might change your tune about what God thinks of me. Because I'm not so sure about what God thinks about me as well. I, in, in a certain sense, that's true. I don't know. I don't know what you've done. I don't know the bitterness you harbor. I don't know the pain that you can't let go of. I don't know your your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups that you just can't get rid of. You're right. Yet I I want all of us to look at the magnitude of God's grace. And to do that, today we're going to open up to the story of King Josiah one of the last rulers of Judah before the collapse of the kingdom. In fact, uh, the kingdom of Judah would not survive beyond Josiah's sons. Um, And Josiah's family, here's the thing, had really messed things up. My guess is that no matter how badly you have messed things up, no matter what you harbor in your heart, no matter how many times you have gone back to the same old things and to the same old sins, I'm guessing that you have not offered child sacrifices. My guess. Could be wrong. But as we talk about this, what we learn is that no matter what we have done, no matter where we are, God's grace interrupts God's wrath. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the fact that God's compassion controls God's wrath. Here, we're going to talk about the fact that God's grace interrupts God's wrath. And there are two bits of good news that I want you to hear in this. The first bit of good news that we want to hear in this story is that God is just. And yes, that is good news. And we'll talk about that and we'll unpack that in just a second. The second bit is even better is that The better news is that God's mercy never fails. So uh, God is just, that's good news, and God's mercy never fails, that's even better news. So let's read 2 Kings 22, and we'll stop at at 23 verse 3. And I'm going to warn you right off the the bat, there are a number of names in here, and you're going to look at that and go, hmm, just keep reading, all right? Uh, Luther uh, told a, a, uh, a jittery young priest who was scared to make any move for fear he would mess things up named Philip Melanchthon. Uh, finally, Melanchthon got on Luther's nerves and Luther said, Melanchthon, sin boldly. So as you read those names, sin boldly. All right, so Josiah was eight years old when he became king. 
and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His, mother name was, his mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adaiah. She was from Botskath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, the son of Meshaluam, to the temple of the Lord. He said, go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, and have him get ready the money that has been brought into the temple of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have collected from the people. Have them entrust it to the men appointed to supervise the work on the temple, and have these men pay the workers to repair, who repair the temple of the Lord, the carpenters, the builders, and the masons. Also have them purchase timber and dress stone to repair the temple. But they need not account for the money entrusted to them, because they are honest in their dealings. Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan, who read it. Then Shapan the secretary, went to the king and reported to him, Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at the temple. Then Shapan the secretary, informed the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shapan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest. Ahikam, son of Shapan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shapan the secretary, and Azaiah, the king's attendant. Go and inquire the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Hilkiah the priest, Ahakam, Akbor, Shapan, and Azaiah went out to speak to the prophet Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikva, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people, according to everything written in the book of the king of Ju- in the book the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made, my anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become accursed and be laid waste, and because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors, and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place." So they took her answer back to the king. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, and all the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands. 
statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. This is God's word to us today. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us with this large portion of text. Help us to understand the grace that you have. Help us to understand your justice and help us to understand our desires to be connected with you. Lord, we give you thanks that you have given us so many different ways to express your grace to us because we need all of these expressions and reminders of just how wonderful you are. Strengthen mine words during this time, for mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You might have resonated with part of this story because the reality is that when we talk about God's justice, when we talk about uh, God being righteous, I think that's a lot more frightening to us than uh, when we talk about God's grace. I know it's a lot more frightening. And it's a lot more frightening, especially when we start to consider our own sin, but not necessarily when we think about the world. You know, we can relate to the, the attitude of Josiah when he was concerned about the book of the law being read, when he heard about all the covenant curses that could come down on the people of Judah. The people of Judah, like I said, his, uh, Josiah is the grandson of Manasseh. Manasseh will go down as the worst king in the history of Judah. I wasn't really kidding when I said there was child sacrifice. Since the time of David and Solomon, there was a kind of a downward moral uh, spiral in the kingdom of Judah. It wasn't as bad as Israel, which had been founded on idolatry, which had been founded on the, well, if I get them close enough to think they're worshiping God, but they don't have to go into enemy territory, I'll do it kind of attitude. The kings of Judah had progressively gotten more and more immoral. They had gone about their own ways. They had become like the nations around them. The nations around them, of course, had gods for every different type of uh, eventuality or in every type of different force. Um, you know, the god of, of the rain, god of the sun, god of fertility, god of uh, getting a better offensive coordinator. Whatever the God was, they wanted to sacrifice to that God. A few of us have been sacrificing to that God, eh? <laughs> we get it. We get it. We want to cover our bases. We want to cover our bases, but when we are faced with a righteous God, when we are faced with the idea that there is one just God, we can get frightened because we are aware of our shortcomings. When I preached last week, I, wasn't, I, I didn't realize the magnitude of things that, I know they're always there, but the magnitude of, of situations that we all had to walk into this past Thursday, and perhaps even more than Thursday. 
fractured relationships, fractured histories, difficult, uh, difficult and perhaps crazy uncles. It's usually a crazy uncle. Sorry if you're that one. But we realize just how difficult that is. And we realize how far short, short we fall. And so we understand in, in verse 13, when we hear Josiah saying, Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us, because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. God is just, and that justice is frightening when we start thinking about our own sin. We, we recognize that if we were to have our life played out before us, it would read more like a horror film than the, the sappy rom-com that we want it to be. And we are afraid of the words that, that Josiah heard and that I heard and I thought, oh, it's too true. In verses 16 and 17, this is what the Lord says, I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. According to everything written in the book of the king of Judah, uh, according to everything written in the book the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made, my anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. We hear that and we can read our own lives into it. We can hear the, the ways that we have sinned against other people, the thoughts that we have harbored against others when they came into our house. It's so great to see you. No, it's not. <laughs> when we face the righteous God, those things hurt. But here's the thing. Having a fear of God's justice let me tell you, that, that actually means that we're probably a lot closer than we think to understanding who God is. You know, fear isn't just being afraid, but it can be having a respect for. And when we do have that fear, when we have that, that, that sense of being afraid of God's justice, when we have that sense that, that mm, we don't quite measure up, then we understand the holiness of God. We have a certain respect for the holiness of God, and we have a certain respect for the, the, the lack of righteousness that we bring to the situation. You know, I don't think any of us come into the church thinking that we are uh, we are God's gift to the church because we are just so holy and we are just so righteous. But rather, we have that understanding that we need God in our lives. We need a just God who also forgives. And Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the, is the beginning of wisdom. And when we recognize that God is holy and that we are not, we start to see the world as it is. We start to see the, eye, the, the world through the eyes of wisdom. And we start to put ourselves in a much more humble position. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And, and having that wisdom, having that wisdom of, of, 
that fear of God's justice shows that we are just closer to Him than we might think. We're not farther away when we, when we have those thoughts. It's the splitter telling us, you're not holy, you need to go away. But it is the Holy Spirit that says, you are not holy, draw closer. There is wisdom in the admission that God is holy and we are not. And we do that when we recognize our shortcomings. We do that when we say, you know what, can we go back to the prayer of confession? Because I have a bit more that I need to unload. There, there's a bit more baggage that, is, that I'm carrying around. There's a bit more weight around my shoulders. There's, there's more. So can we please go back there because I need to draw close and I need to, to confess and I need to unload these things to someone who is able to hold them for me. In that, we show a profound respect for the justice of God, the righteousness of God. And it's in that admission that God is able to work His grace. It's in the admission of our shortcomings, it's in the, in the admission of our weaknesses that God is able to work His grace in our lives. So let me ask it this way. Can you admit that God is just and we are not? That's an important admission. Can we admit that to ourselves? God is just and we are not. So here's the thing. We desire a just, holy, and righteous God even if we can't stand before Him. A few times I've talked about the idea that we can have this this idea that God is really like a half-senile grandfather, just kind of lazing on the couch. Um, C.S. Lewis puts it better. Let me read right from Lewis here, who's going to, to um, put it in better terms. He says, what would really satisfy us would be a God who said, of anything we happen to like doing, what does it matter so long as they're contented? We want, in fact, no, not so much a father in heaven as a grandfather in heaven. A senile benevolence who, as they say, liked to see young people enjoying themselves and whose plan for the universe was simply that it might be truly said at the end of each day, a good time was had by all. It's kind of what we want because we don't want to face the reality of our sin and the consequence of our sin sounds nice to say that God loves us and wants us to be happy, so really anything that makes us happy should be just fine. Born in the early 80s and growing up through that era, I had the blessed uh, uh, time of getting to play Nintendo. And Nintendo came out with this device in the 90s, I think it was, called the Game Genie which you could add to, the, add to the, the cartridge, and it would enable all sorts of cheat codes that just kind of let you run amok over the entire game. Excuse me. It, it allowed you to, to overcome any obstacle by just putting in the cheat code to allow you to overcome it. 
And it was supposed to make the game easier and more fun by bypassing those difficult parts. And we think that's our idea of God, kind of the game genie that allows us to hack all the different parts of life. But that's, here's the thing. If we have that conception of God, that, that God isn't really what we want at all. That, that kind of a God can't deal with the situation in Gaza. That kind of God can't deal with the West Bank or Ukraine. That kind of Gaza, uh, that kind of God can't deal with the unrighteous things in our world. That kind of a God has nothing to say in the face of cancer or in the face of unrelenting anxiety or deep loss. That God can't judge who is good and who isn't if all of our, our metric is simply who had a good time because it doesn't ask the difficult questions at whose expense, who's picking up the tab, who is left in the wake, and who is left in the rubble. That type of a God can't face the difficulties of the world, and what's the good time that is had by all that? That's not a judge who's going to to hold to a righteous standard. And then we have to start wondering, how's it all going to get sorted out in the end? And and who's going to make it and, and, and who's not? And what does it really mean? In those moments, we need a God who's able to see our world for what it really is. Wonderfully made and yet terribly fallen all at the same time. A God who is able to see the entire picture of what is going on and to evaluate it based on a holy and righteous standard. Not by our limited and and dimly viewed standard. We need a God who can understand the situation and execute justice impartially. We need a just God, and this is who God reveals himself to be in these passages. But we have to ask the question, we want this just God, but what's the hope for us? Because I don't know about you, but, but even as a pastor, even as someone who, is, who has talked theology and who has learned theology and continues to pursue that relationship, I am not worthy to stand before a just and righteous and holy God. So what's the hope for us? The good news is that God is just. The better news is that his mercy never fails. The major turn in this story, the, the major the, the, the major place where we see this is that God honors Josiah's faithfulness. Did you catch that in verse 19? Huldah says, Huldah the prophetess says, because your heart, Josiah, was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and laid waste, and because you tore your robes, a sign of repentance, by the way, and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Josiah broke the downward spiral of sin of his generations. 
It was growing generation by generation. You know, uh, David was the gold standard in the history of Israel. Solomon was okay at first, and then he went wayward with his wives and with his idols. And then it kind of went downhill. There were, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, only eight kings of the 26, I want to say, of Judah who were reckoned as righteous, and only two of them unqualified. Josiah was one of them. There was a downward spin of spiral of sin that grew with each generation. And that's the reality of our families too. Has anyone heard of a genogram? It's a family history. And if you look through a genogram, what you find is that, that history repeats itself, huh? Isn't that something we've heard? You know, it's, it's entirely likely that as we stand here and as we sit here, we have follow in, followed in the footsteps in our, of our family in some way, shape, or form. Perhaps some of us have followed in our foot, the footsteps of our family in profession. I came from two teachers who both had master's degrees uh, and who valued education and who valued a good lecture and learning. And here I am, married to Katie, and we're two teachers with master's degrees who value learning. But we also don't just inherit the good bits, do, do we? The family, the family discussions that perhaps happened this week, well, you didn't get that from me, you got that from your father. You didn't get that from me. You got that from your mother. You got that from your grandmother. You are just like your great... Uh, we have those discussions because they do follow through in the family, and it's hard to break those trends. I was on the phone this week, this past week, with a gentleman. Um, we were talking uh, church items. He, he uh, is a part of a church uh, firm, uh, firm that helps churches down in the Georgia area, and he told me, he said, my wife and I just celebrated, I want to say it was 27 years, and he said, we are the couple in our family who has lasted the longest in generations. He said, our brothers and our sisters, they all ended up in divorce. Our parents all ended up in divorce. Our grandparents all ended up in divorce. He said, but we broke the cycle by God's grace, we'll keep going. We tend to repeat the sins of our families, the cyclical nature of abuse, violence, addiction, divorce, even innocuous things like professions, like we said. But here's the thing. When justice was deserved, when, when, the, when the, the line of David had shown itself to be a tree rotted out from the middle, God provided mercy. The sin wasn't distant. Josiah knew his grandfather. He, he grew up in that, in that situation. I don't know how he turned out the way he did. We talked about that in the office this way. How did Josiah turn out the way he did? Because if I grew up in that situation, I don't know that I could. But Josiah saw the Lord and chose him, chose to turn to him, repented, 
turned away from the past actively and made the hard work to turn towards God. And we need to understand that that is hard work. It takes effort, a lifetime of effort. But in the end, God honored that. Justice had been pronounced for Judah. But yet, God was willing to look at the righteousness of Josiah, the heart of Josiah, and offer mercy. We often think of God in the Old Testament as angry. We often think of him as, as wrathful and, 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 and having lots of vengeance. Yet, here we see that God was looking for the opportunity to be merciful. The people had completely turned away. And yet, Josiah showed a willingness to turn to God. And it shows that God is willing to give us mercy if we show him repentance. Josiah is our model and our hope. If God can turn for Josiah, he can turn for each and every one of us, especially on this side of the cross. We're about to turn into the busyness of December. Let me ask you one other question then. can you accept that God is just? That is, where are you looking for peace this season? Where are you looking for peace? The story of Josiah and of his willingness to turn to God shows us that if we are willing to repent, if we are willing to turn our hearts towards God, he is willing to give us peace. He is willing to show us mercy, mercy that, no, we don't deserve, but that's the whole deal with mercy. As one uh, song puts it, the beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. And if we look anywhere else, we're going to find that we are on the treadmill trying to earn our way to that peace, but God offers, us, offers it to us this season and in every season, in the form of a baby boy in a manger, God with us, Emmanuel, hope of the nations, that we did not have to come to God, but God came to us. And that in that hope, we can have peace, peace that passes all understanding, peace that passes all circumstance, and peace that endures, because it rests not on our righteousness, but on Christ. Where are you looking for peace this this year? Know that God's mercy interrupts His wrath, and be at peace. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your peace. Thank You for Your mercy. Thank You that You are just. It's a good reminder It's a good lesson for our hearts that this world does mean something and will mean even more when you redeem it in its full. We look forward to that day, Jesus. 
But in the interim time, we know that there is nothing that will separate us from your love. There is nothing that you won't do in order to show us mercy. And indeed, you went to the cross for that very reason. Help us during this season of your Advent to look for you, not for everything else around you, but to look for you and your peace. We give you thanks through Jesus Christ, who lived and died and who reigns forevermore. Amen. It's in that hope that then we come to the table. Because the story of Christmas doesn't end there. It's not just the baby, but the the story of justice continues. As that child grew and became an adult, and as that child went to the cross to bear the sin of the world, sin that you and I rightfully have committed and the, the consequence of which you and I rightfully deserve. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has taken that sin upon himself so that we don't have to. And so the, on the night on which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread, and as he was eating with his disciples, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, Take and eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper... Jesus took the cup and he shared it with his friends and he said this is the cup of the new covenant poured out in my blood drink of it all of you for as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup we proclaim the Lord's saving death until he comes let's recount God's goodness in prayer let's pray Lord we give you thanks You are good and gracious, almighty, all-powerful, and just, tempered by mercy, tempered by compassion. We give you thanks because, Lord, as we are a wayward people, you have called us out from sin. You proclaimed hope to our first parents, to Adam and Eve, that one day you would provide a way. Out of idolatry, you called Abraham to lead him into a land that was not his own, to a people that was not his own, to remove himself from the idols of his family, and to worship and to serve you only. From there, you walked with, uh, with Isaac and with Jacob, bestowing on them the promises that you gave to Abraham initially, that one day that you would call to yourself a great nation, When there was famine in the land, Lord, you used the sin of your people to call them down into Egypt to find provision, to find hope. When that land turned oppressive, you used your servant Moses, saved from the the wrath of Pharaoh, in order to save your people once again from the wrath of Pharaoh. From there, O God, you led your people across desert to mountains, to to your law, to the promised land. You called forth judges to lead your people in righteousness and holiness. In In time, you called up kings in order to lead the nation. And you called prophets to call 
people back to you and to the righteousness that you require in your law. When we had failed at all these things, in the fullness of time you called forth your Son. Born of a woman, he is one of us and knows our pain. He proclaimed freedom to the captives. He proclaimed sight to the blind. He, compla- com- uh, he, he proclaimed hope to the hopeless. And when his moment came, he offered himself a living sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice on our behalf and cleansed us from the sin that was our own. Because of Him, we can have righteousness. And we pray that we would be united with believers across time, across culture, and across the world through these elements. That, that these elements of bread and fruit of the vine would become for us real spiritual food and real spiritual drink which nourish us. Lord, we give you thanks And we pray that you would receive this as a sacrifice of joy. That you would once again look upon us and see the righteousness of your Son. All this we pray in his name. Amen.